Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. You've got 670 the score. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. It is inside the clubhouse. Another hour of us, and it's a good thing, because Kyle Hendricks will join us in about 20 minutes, the Cubs' starting pitcher, who signed a deal yesterday, one of several, to avoid arbitration. And uh, then Jeff Idelson will join us later on in the hour, the president of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, while Theo Epstein's been here, Bruce, he has gone to arbitration with one player. It was Justin Grimm. Uh, and then yeah, that it, was odd in itself, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was the year that Justin Grimm ended up being released in right. in spring training. When he was in Boston, he never went to arbitration yeah. with a single player. He has avoided doing that and the ugliness that can come with arbitration meetings, and did so again this week. I always hate the uh, James Russell, Justin Grimm stories because they are the guys that managers go to uh, on a daily basis when they know they have rubber arms and the mentality of. Put me in there in any situation, any time. And uh, their careers are forever altered because they were good pitchers who pitched too often too many years in a row. And such is the case of Grimm. Such was the case of Russell pitching for those teams that were losing 90 game plus, uh, almost 100 games one year uh, for the Cubs and blowing out, you yeah. know, basically blowing out uh, because of overuse and because of the fact that Managers knew they could count on the guy for never saying no. Look for a bounce back from Justin Grimm, by the way, this year, because he discovered something in the minors last year, and then it manifested again. I hope it's a new shoulder. Well, it, you know what it is? They've, he's added the slider back in, and, yeah. and he's, he's getting ahead. It worked in a small sample in the minors and in Seattle at the end of last year, and now he's a Cleveland Indian. So he might, you might see a bounce back from Justin Grimm, but that's not why we yeah, call. No, but, but again, there's always – that pitcher on certain teams that gets used, abused, and the career just doesn't turn out the way it should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they avoid arbitration with all those folks. Uh, and the big one that gets a lot of notice is Addison Russell. And let's face it, keeping Addison Russell at all is unseemly, is largely unpopular, um, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to anger a lot of people regardless of the accuracy of, of the news. Um, they've decided to keep this asset, Addison Russell, and they have gone about it in so, trying so to be a very transparent they, way. You think they should have released him? I, I do. Yeah. I, I, I do, but I think the realities of what their financial situation is and what their, their actual stockpile is of, mm-hmm. of, of assets and good young players and such was so much that they decided they could not simply give away the asset for nothing. Right. So they then decided to do it the way they've done it, and if you're going to do it, then you try to maximize every angle of it as best you can, including right. – with trying to work with him to better his well, life, well, there, there's and, a plan in place with Major League Baseball. Of right, course, right. this is not the Cubs' plan. This is the plan of Major League Baseball that he's adhering to, as far as the rehabilitation and the suspension. So uh, the, the Cubs are not the team that 
suspended Addison Russell was Major League Baseball. Right. So that clarification is important. Uh, agreed. But yeah. the, the way they came out right. publicly now, and said, we want to be part of the solution, et cetera. Right. And now, the way as to whether it. they keep him or not, that's up to, up to them, of course. Mm-hmm. So basically what the contract is about is he's going to make $3.4 million, but he's going to miss 28 days of pay at the beginning of that. So that'll be docked off of there. Okay. Mm-hmm. He made 3.2 last year. Normally under normal situations, if he hadn't had the off field problem uh, and uh, the fact that he had a down year, he would be coming in at around 4.8 would be his arbitration number. That would be what he is asking for. That would be close to what uh, in between what the Cubs and he would uh, he, the Cubs would probably come in at about four three to four four. They would come in at around four eight. So it would be around four five that the, the settlement would be. Okay, so, the, so in a so normal that, situation, so automatically, it's his situation has cost him a lot of money. Number one, uh, number two, um, if uh, he makes all his incentives, he can make another. Five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So if he's on the on the uh, on the team all year consecutively without a hiccup, he can make himself uh, another five hundred thousand dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. so bring him roughly up to, you know, just three point four. No, because he's going to be docked uh, the first twenty eight days on his on his. You know, he's going to lose he's going to lose five hundred and fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. So he'll be docked, right? So he can get that back and and keep him pretty much even by that point, okay, of what he's what he's going to earn this year. But it's still less than – Much w- less. It's much, much less, less than less. what he would have so, gotten. So to say that the Cubs are rewarding him for being uh, – uh, for, for what <clears> – <throat> excuse me – for uh, his bad behavior and what he's being suspended for is just not accurate. It, it doesn't seem to be, but it's being painted as that. It's being portrayed that way, but it's not accurate. Here, now, in Gordon Wittenmeyer's column in the Sun-Times today, um, Russell's $3.4 million contract includes a series of roster bonuses that can add as much as 600000 the same amount he will lose when he serves the final 29 games of a 40-game right. suspension. Now, that's just taking the math and assigning it to these two things that are comparable, but it's right. ignoring the fact that he's getting less than he would have gotten. Without a doubt, a right? two hundred thousand dollar raise in arbitration for a second year player in arbitration is unheard of. It just doesn't happen. Okay, no matter how bad you are. So this they, they signed him for much less than even the deals that they signed right. with other people avoiding right. arbitration. Those yeah. guys got way so, more. So the per- perception that he's being rewarded is not accurate. Now, the Cubs are on um, they're on their word that if he doesn't do all the work in the off season. If he doesn't come out of this in some forms rehabilitated to the point where it's acceptable to everybody as far as his work and his uh, the way he talks about this situation, they can they can one sixth him in early March and release him for one sixth of his contract. So they can take a look at him between now and then when they when they see him in early March and or late February, they can say, "All right, is he actually paying attention to this? Is he really trying? Do, can we afford to keep going with this or is this just going to blow up in our face and they can decide to bail on the situation?" Absolutely. So, you know, again, are they protecting an asset uh that they're hoping to build up to help them win or to possibly move somewhere else? There there's no question about that business part of it, but they are adhering 
to the responsibility of saying, if the man doesn't do the work off the field, he's not going to be a Chicago Cub. Look, I think he should have just been released and he should just move on. Okay, uh, but, but, you, you but they're have not no, doing you, that. I know, but you have no direct interest in the correct other than being a fan well, well it, it, which, but, is, which is good enough well, but not it's even good enough it's not even from 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 the fans perspective although i mean obviously there's a lot of fans that feel that way but it's just like it, it is it is it is it worth it and uh, to keep him and apparently it is so once you've made that yeah. decision that you're going to keep him then you do everything within your power to incentivize right. him to be a good human and a good ball player. So these incentives make all the sense in the world because you want him to play well and be present so he either A, helps you win, or B, returns his trade value to you, something you, useful. You also don't want to be hypocritical. <clears throat> Excuse me, Matt. Mm-hmm. Want to be hypocritical in terms hypocritical of... Hypocritical as far as, uh, you know, you did bring Aroldis Chapman in to help you win a championship who had a... Uh, short history uh, and a suspension for abuse. Okay, so um, when people have done their work and they've they've been able to go on with their careers, uh, you don't want to be hypocritical saying we're not even going to allow that for one of our own. Okay, we mm-hmm. brought in somebody from the outside that had gone through the rehabilitation, accepted back, helped us win a World Series without question. Uh, you can make a great case that they don't win without him. That and, home run in Dodger Stadium in Game Five turned the whole series around. Right, but but I mean, with with without a doubt, he was. What did he save? Twenty of twenty two games uh, going down the end, he was dominant. Mm-hmm. So uh, you don't want to be hypocritical about bringing in someone from the outside that had a problem and that did the due diligence, and you won't allow that for one of your own. This is Chris in Barrington. Quickly here on six seventy, the score. What's up, Chris? Hey, guys, I just want to say with the Russell thing, I don't understand the rewarding somebody like, hey, you know, if you can uh, be good the whole year, we're going to give you that money back. You know, you did the crime. You, you shouldn't be rewarded. You know what? You lose that money. That, that's you got to pay the price. You well, know, I, yeah, I don't but, understand that. But I, I don't agree that it's giving him that money back. I think that's the context you're accepting and choosing to see it as because but he's still he's signed a deal that is for far less than what he should have gotten by the basics of the market. True, but he also has a lot of baggage, and look what happened when he, he, what he did. But, I mean, uh, that's... Can you look at it from this perspective? <clears throat> you, I know you can't get around it, and you think he should be released, but do you look at it from a baseball perspective that if he's on the roster all year, that means that he's uh, helping you uh, with what he's doing on the field? I mean, I understand that. I just yeah. I, I think you, it's... you don't want him there, period, right? No, it's not that I don't. Everyone should have a second chance, but there's been more stuff that's come out with the second lady, supposedly, and like it's there's ugly. just so much going on that we don't know about. You know, it's just kind of hard it, to swallow. I guess. It, it's very ugly, Chris, and I completely understand. The thing is, like, you need him to go along with the plan as designed by Major League Baseball and as supported by the Cubs. I think he has. And, well, and and the incentives are a way of saying, look, you better keep going along right. with the plan as the season goes on, or else you're not going to play, and then you won't make your incentives as well. I, I personally don't support anybody that abuses anybody out there. Uh, but I, I think that if there is rules in place for these things with uh, a players association with Major League Baseball and he's adhering to uh, the rehabilitation, someone's going to give him a chance. If it's not the Cubs, it'll be someone else. Whether you think he's burned his bridge here and the people of Chicago are fed up with him or not, you know that that's something to be debated on shows just like ours. This is an ugly, ugly business when you've got to make decisions like that.
And uh, that's the one they've made. It's 670 The Score. It's Matt Spiegel and Bruce Levine doing Inside the Clubhouse. We'll come back and talk to Kyle Hendricks right here on The Score. The pitch to Kingery. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Kyle Hendricks works one, two, three. Boy, we've heard that a lot over the past uh, four years, haven't we? Been a tremendous career so far. Great fun to watch. Maybe the guy I enjoy watching the most because the way he does it, the way he thinks about it, it's fun to dissect. And because he's on the phone. Well, I, I, did, I did figure that he would hear that. That's, that's exactly we, uh, right. This is Inside the Clubhouse. He's Matt and Bruce. We're here for you from uh, 9 to 11 every Saturday, and we are pleased to bring in one of the top pitchers in the National League and certainly of the Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Kyle, Happy New Year, and uh, thanks for joining Matt and me today. Hey, guys. Yeah, Happy New Year. Uh, no problem. Great to be on. Uh, you guys could just keep talking if you want. Like that. <laughs> I heard that. So, yeah, we could just roll with that if you want. You, you, you like that. Hey, um, <laughs> you, you, you avoid arbitration yesterday, Kyle, and uh, you get uh, a lot of money for – a conservative guy like you and your family to have made uh, the money in first year arbitration last year and now uh, seven million this year. How does that perspective of uh, a conservative person and a conservative lifestyle change when you get this type of windfall money that changes uh, not only your career but your family's future as well? Yeah, for sure. I think I said it last year, like you said, getting the money in first year ARB and now to, to go through the process again and get this, it's it's really life changing. And to be able to make that kind of money to play a game, to play baseball, uh, it's really it's what I love to do. And so you grow up just watching the game and loving the game. And, you know, that's really my focus. But of course, to be able to just take care of your family. Uh, and everything like that, it, it can make a lot of things easier, for sure. See, I'm picturing you uh, like Scrooge McDuck taking a treasure bath, just a bathtub full of full of $100 bills now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really a spender, you know, so I yeah. guess that might be what I have to do. That's a good idea, because I, I don't really know what I'm going to blow it on. <laughs> well, well, seriously, there's, there, is there something? Is there anything? Is there a car that you've dreamed of? that This could be a moment to do that kind of thing. You know, not necessarily. I'm more, you're so caught up in the moment. And like I said, I'm so focused on baseball and playing the game that, you know, I, I know it's going to be there. So may, maybe years down the road, you know, I'm a saver and maybe I'll get there one day. Hmm. But for right now, honestly, you know, baseball is my focus. And so however long baseball is around, that's going to be my love and what I'm passionate about and what I'm doing. You'll have your third pitching coach in three years, Tommy Hadovy, somebody that you know very well and have a great relationship with. Talk about that relationship moving forward and uh, the perception of, of a new guy being there uh, who's not necessarily a new guy. Yeah, exactly. You know, Tommy's awesome. Uh, he just, he's been around, he's been in the org, obviously, and been around the big league crew for two years now. And so we all know him and, uh, He's just he's an awesome guy what he brings to the field every day. It's just it's always positive and he's you can feel that he's really just there for you. He's on your team and I think he's that way with every single pitcher. He doesn't treat anyone anybody differently. Um but he's a hard worker, man. He gets in there, he puts in the hours and he's willing to look for anything to find answers really, you know, if you're struggling or if things are going good no matter what. He's on your team and he's just trying to make you better. Um he's really good with game planning stuff, uh pitch sequencing. But he's also good at breaking down video and looking at mechanical stuff. Um, so I think it's going to be huge for us going forward this year. And just having someone that we know has been around and that we can trust and has been part of the team, you know. 
You know, it, it's an interesting uh, a bunch of moves that have been made to the coaching staff in terms of Anthony uh, Iaposi coming back and Tommy Hadovy. And, you know, you just talked about the the positivity and the trust. And it seemed that the way that Theo Epstein has talked about this, that that, that mix of personalities is very important uh, to Theo and to you guys. And it seems like some of these changes are, are perhaps going to set you guys up for a, a more comfortable year. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair to say. Um, yeah, it's just it's comfortability and having guys that we know, guys that have been around, we know what to expect. And they're all positive, hardworking guys that just want the better, the best for the group. Um, so, you know, it's always good to go out and, and get new people. You always have to be trying to get better. But sometimes the best answers can be sitting right in front of you, you know. And we, we have so many good people in this organization, so many bright minds that uh, I think it's a good pool to pick from. And so bringing some guys back that we've had and, and giving opportunities to a guy like Tommy, um, I think that it's awesome to see for us going forward this year. Kyle Hendricks, our guest on Inside the Clubhouse. Kyle, when you uh... – Look at your off season. Uh, you know, I watched you train a little bit in Chicago last year. You were a member of the East Bank Club, and I used to see you working hard all season long. Now I know you're out west uh, working as well. But what what are your goals uh, in the off season, physically uh, and mentally, to get yourself trained for that next season and and to be even better if you can be? Yeah, you're always trying to improve. You know, so. I mean, at first you're trying to get your rest, but once the rest period's over, then you're focused on where, where your improvements can come from. Um, and you're, every year you're always learning more about yourself, more about your body, uh, how your body feels and how it moves. And so when I first start getting back into working out, you're just trying to build strength and see where your body's at, see if you have any, not injuries, you know, but if anything is feeling a little uh, deficient, things where you can build again. Um, so after you start there and getting the, get into the throwing program, that's where the real focus comes on the field. So when you start throwing, for me, it's just trying to get the feel of all my pitches as soon as I can. Um, build arm strength, of course, uh, just to be healthy and be able to carry those innings and go deep in games. But really, I'm such a feel guy. I just, you know, every day I come out playing catch, you're just trying to hone hone your pitches as good as you can. So obviously, two-seam and change-up, um, those are my bread and butter. But I was able to use my curveball a lot more last year. Uh and it became more of a weapon for me. So I think that's still the next step is just making that a better pitch, learning how and when to use it uh, to get more outs with it or to set up my other pitches better. Um, so you just you learn so much about yourself every single year that you really just try and incorporate those things as you move forward. Is yoga still a part of your life and routine, Kyle, in terms of finding mental balance and flexibility and that kind of thing? Oh yeah, hundred percent yoga. When I when I first started really diving into it a few years ago, uh, I knew that that was gonna stick. You know, it's, it's that's a part of my routine that'll never go away. It's it's just something. You know, it depends. The volume of how much I do may change, but it's always gonna be a part of it. And uh, just for obviously the flexibility factor and just being able to move, but what it does for me mentally, like you said, uh, just working on the breathing and. Being able to coordinate movements with breath, I mean, that's what you're doing when you're pitching. You have to be able to be calm, be able to breathe slowly and produce, you know, this motion uh, and deliver the ball to the home plate. So it's a huge tool for me, for sure, uh, that I'll definitely be using for my whole career. Kyle, uh, this weekend you'll you'll be at the Cub Convention along with a lot of your teammates. And uh, for the first time, all of you will have to be asked in about – your support and your perception of uh, what's going on with, with Addison Russell. And uh, 
his rehabilitation to come back and be the person and player that he wants to be representing uh, you guys and the Cubs. How, how difficult is that question in general? And uh, is there a, a collective way that you guys can go about this in a constructive way where it works for everybody when asked about it? Yeah, I think so. You know, we're just, we're all on the same page with it. We're all on board. We love Addison. Uh, we love Melissa too. We lo- um, Everything that happened is unfortunate, you know, but we're just behind him. He's our teammate and we're, you know, we're, we're backing him. We just want him to be the best person he can be. And so whatever that process is going to take, we're focused on, on the field and what we have to take care of business wise. But obviously um, just who he is as a person and, and the developments he's going to make, uh, we're just here for him. Anything he needs, uh, anything really anyone needs in this situation. Um, we're just trying to be as supportive as we can. There's a big mental skills department um, and and all sorts of other therapeutic tools that are available for you guys, right, Kyle? It, it, it seems like there's an investment that needs to take place for the club in Addison and for Addison in the club with those resources. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's where Theo steps in. He's always looking for something. Uh, anything that can help. And, you know, we've had a lot, there are a lot of meetings that we have in spring training, you know, that are new, that didn't happen years ago, like domestic violence meetings, things like this. We bring people into the complex to talk to the group, uh, just education, you know, in general. So, yeah, from from Theo and the front office's side, they're obviously, they're doing everything they can. And I know Addison is on board and he wants to just become the best person he can be. So for sure, it's just both sides balancing it out and seeing what what the best outcome is going to be. Speaking of the mental edge, mental edge department, uh, after Ken Revisa passed away last spring, uh, there there seemed to be a, a, a little lack of where to go. I know the other guys have done a great job in that department there, but Kenny was kind of the go to guy for an awful lot of people. How do you think that impacted the team uh, as far as the, the end of the year in particular, and uh, how, how much are you looking for Bob Tewksbury uh, running that department going forward? Yeah, I think it, it was a definite impact. You know, it was such a sudden loss, uh, unexpected. And, you know, Kenny, he was just – he was the matriarch of the whole thing, really. He ran, he ran the system. So while he brought in so many good people around him, it was really tough just to see, you know, that head figure not around anymore uh, day in and day out. So, yeah, luckily he passed – so much down to his disciples that the, the people that we do have still around uh they're now picking it up um his work you know in a way but to bring in bob tewksbury i actually got to meet him uh, about a week or 10 days ago and you know got to go out to lunch and just sit down and talk and he is an awesome guy and you can you can just tell the mental approach he has is so in line with what ken was doing with you know what everybody else that we have here already so to just have someone kind of at the top that everybody can look to, you know where to go, um, you know, uh, signified the same uh, ideas, you know, being passed around between everyone. That's really what we needed, and so I think Tukes is going to be awesome for us. Uh, he's just, like I said, an awesome guy, nicest guy you could ever meet. So I'm va- really excited to get to work with him. Kyle, how valuable is that 20- to 30-second manager, somebody that comes up with a, something succinct and positive for you to concentrate on on that particular day? Uh, something that Kenny was so good at, something that the other people in this business of uh, the mental age department are very uh, in tune with. Yeah, it's huge. It's one of the biggest parts of what we do. You know, you have to simplify as much as possible. Things can get so complex. Uh, you know, you can be running around. Things can really speed up on you real quick it's on the field, off the field. 
uh, no matter what you have going on. So to have someone around that can always bring it back to, like you said, just one succinct phrase, sentence, uh, something like that, just being able to simplify was the biggest lesson I think I learned from him um, and most other guys. But, yeah, so for Bob now to, to kind of take that over, I'm excited just to see what he has for us. Uh, on your recommendation, I bought the Mental ABCs of Pitching by Harvey Dorfman a couple years ago. It's still sitting by the bed. I haven't really uh, dug into it. Uh, but Tewksbury wrote a book, 90% Mental, that a lot of people have talked about. Have you read that? Are you familiar with, with his work? <laughs> So he pat, he gave it to me when we went to lunch, and I'm in the process. He, I'll be did, reading it, and I'll be giving the book report back. Did you get a good price? Did he give you a good price? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he just passed it right over. He said lunch is on you. <laughs> you know what? You know what's funny so, right. is, is that I I've thought of and mentioned Bob Tewksbury on the air in regards to you pitching wise because Tewksbury is a guy who threw like 85, maybe 86, and was successful wow. for a you're, long you're time. Taking Kyle's number way down yeah, there. Right, right, exactly. Hey, that's okay. that's, I can pitch 85, 86 and get out. So I'll take it. Well, that's but the no, thing. We actually, we actually joked about that and talked about that over lunch, just uh, the pitching styles and, yeah, how similar the two of us really were. And when we started breaking down just mentally kind of what you think on the mound, we have, we have a lot of similarities. So that's, that's where I'm most excited is, you know, just to bounce ideas off of him and what he used to do. And there's so much experience there that there's going to be a lot to learn for be- sure. Before we let you go, uh, the offseason uh- – the Scalso is at it. He's a he's a great pro, and I'm sure he's going to add a lot to the team. But but when you look at the uh, the free agent rumors and the the Harper stuff, Cubs in and out, uh, having to be stealth because of uh, contract uh, or uh, salary constraints, possibly. How do you look at the Cubs off season so far, and uh, how much uh, interest do you pay uh, to uh, to uh, what's going on out there with with the big boys? Yeah, you know, we're all, you're always hearing it. There's no way to get around hearing the news and, and what's going on. But at the end of the day, we're not worried about anything with our club until something happens. So, like you said, when we signed Descalso, that was exciting for us. I, he's really good friends with John Jay, who's just one of the best teammates I've ever gotten to play with. So I would assume I've heard the same things about Descalso. I'm really excited to get to meet him and, and play with him this year. But, again, it's you can't really speculate too much. And once a deal is or a move is made or a deal is made, then we worry about it, you know, as a part of our group. But I think we have so many good players. I think all the answers are internal with us. Um, You know, we we dealt with a lot of injuries last year. We had, you know, some adversity we had to go through, and we still were right there. Obviously, we didn't make the run we wanted to, but we had the chance, and we were right there. We won 95 games. Um, But our focus is always on the postseason and getting better. So I think this group that we have is really hungry, and, no matter what additions or, you know, if we happen to not get anything, I think we'll be hungry and ready to go this year. Well, there it is. Got a lot of antsy Cubs fans about the inactivity, but you just said you guys think you can get better and do it with what you have there in the clubhouse. 100%, 100%. We always believe in our guys. That's We're such we're such a close-knit group, uh, great friends, you know, and competitors. We just love to win. So uh, I think there's a little bit of a bad taste, and guys have been really working hard this offseason, so I'm excited to – you know, see the guys at the Cub convention and, and have some fun there. But then I'm just really excited for camp to get going. And uh, the fans are looking forward to seeing you, too. I'll be there with my usual uh, hand buzzer and squirting flower and all the fun things that happen uh, at the, the whoopee cushion. Uh, the whoopee is cushion favorite, is, yeah. is big, too. Kyle, thanks for taking some time out for Matt and I today on Inside the Clubhouse. Look forward to seeing you uh, next weekend at the Cub convention. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. I'll see all you right. next weekend. Take thanks, care. Kyle. Kyle Hendricks, always straightforward, always interesting, kind of like how he pitches is the way he uh, 
comports himself, comes straight at you. Love that he and Tewksbury talked about their their styles. It's yeah. always been a comp I've thrown yeah. out there, and now here he is, yeah. their mental skills boss. We have to take a quick break and come back with Jeff Idelson, uh, the president of the Hall of Fame, talk about Lee Smith, Harold Baines, and some of the new guys that will be elected on January 22nd. It is 670 the score. It's inside the clubhouse. Welcome back in on Inside the Clubhouse here on 670 The Score. Steve Rosenblum at the top of the hour with me, Matt Spiegel. But a few more minutes with me and Bruce Levine on Inside the Clubhouse. We are pleased to bring in the president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame, a good friend for many, many years and still a young guy, believe it or not. He is, at least. I'm not. Jeff Idelson, uh, nice enough to take some time out to join us on Inside the Clubhouse today. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? As my friend Satchel Page used to say, not actually my friend, but as Satchel Page used to say, uh, age is, a, is, a, is mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. I'm doing great, Bruce. Happy New Year to Matt and you. Yeah, you, same Jeff. to you. Uh, we have uh, two automatic former Chicago star players going into the Hall of Fame. Veterans Committee voted in Harold Baines and Lee Smith to uh, join you for the induction in late July in Cooperstown. Um a lot of people are happy here. Uh, a lot of con- controversy about Harold and him getting in because of the fact that uh, uh, people think that there was some uh, favoritism along the way. Can you uh, fill us in on how those committees for the veterans are, are uh, comprised and, and who, uh, who picks out the people to pick out the people? Right. Well, you know, first of all, both guys, in my opinion, very deserving of election. We're really looking forward to welcoming, welcoming them next July in Cooperstown. But the uh, the era committees are put together by our board of directors. They're they're done blindly. They're not done with the ballot in mind. You just try to create the best balance you can in the committee of 16. And, you know, you take a guy like Harold Baines, who let's not forget the fact that he had almost 2,800 hits. Right. But this is a guy that played for a bunch of teams. So obviously he's got some some people in the room that saw him play, players, uh, executives, media members. Um, but I think that the integrity of that committee was was terrific. Everybody on that ballot got a fair review. And at the end of the day, you had Harold Baines and Lee Smith elected. I'm one of those guys who felt uh, feels kind of bad for Harold because a lot of the conversations have gone from, boy, what a great underrated player he is, to now, boy, this is a bad Hall of Famer. Like he's, you know, and I feel like he doesn't deserve that. I feel I feel bad for him. But the thing is, Jeff, like. 16 people, as opposed to how many voters? It, it, when, when it's, it's more than 500, right, of the BBWAA? Yeah, the, the BBWA is about 450, and then okay. you go to an era, era committee of 16. But, uh, you know, that commi- those committees were formed to look at managers, umpires, and executives, and players whom the BBWAA or a committee that they put together feels may have slipped through the cracks. So the ballot... Let's not forget that the ballot is put together by 10 former BBWAA members. Uh, so it's that electorate that constructs the ballots. And look, when you get to a smaller electorate, um, you know, it, 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 you could, anything can happen. But it, I, I honestly believe and feel comfortable that the process works well and still with 75 percent of the vote needed, only those who deserve election earn it. So it doesn't necessarily matter if if like Harold, I think, was under 5 percent for in the last several years that he was on the ballot, that those don't it doesn't correlate necessarily to you once he gets to the committee. I don't think so. And I mean, if you really look at those ballots that Harold was on, he was the 11th guy in the 10 in front of him. I think almost all of them, if not all of them, 
eventually earned election to yeah. Cooperstown. So that's a great it's, point. Look, it's still, and the, the other point to keep in mind is you're still looking at only 1% of those who, that have played in the majors have a plaque in Cooperstown. Very difficult to get in. Uh, and with a guy like Harold, maybe his case was a little uh, more complicated to look at. But I'm very comfortable with his election and Lee Smith's. Jeff Idelson, the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse for a few more minutes. Jeff, you and the board of directors of the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame have been very careful about not overmanaging what you want when baseball writers uh, elect. As a matter of fact, you don't tell them anything as far as direction other than the general rules of integrity and the general rules about having played the game long enough and with integrity uh, both on and off the field. But from the perception of the uh, steroids-era guys who are starting to make their way up the ladder and to induction, how, how difficult has that been for you and the board of directors to stay away from that subject and not give uh, information about how the hall looks at that era? Well, look, we feel that voting, uh, that the writers who handle the voting should have the independence to vote their conscience. And our rules for election, as you stated, Bruce, so eloquently are pretty simple. They just ask voters to consider the entirety of the player's career or any candidate, uh, as well as the character, integrity, and sportsmanship that they brought to the table. And every voter looks at that differently. Uh, at the end of the day, I think we all believe in Cooperstown that steroids uh, doesn't create an even playing field it unevens it uh, and that the voters have a difficult task of determining who they uh, think belongs in Cooperstown. But um, we're comfortable with the process. We're comfortable with the leeway we give the uh, voters and the results have been great up and uh, continue to do well. It is a wonderful museum. It is still one of the great memories of my life going with my father at age 19, I believe. And we came and went, I think four times in each of the two days and stayed up there. I have not been in a long time. Is the steroids era addressed at all within the museum? And if not, has it been discussed to do so? Well, Matt, any uh, any museum worth its salt will be rich in education and provide facts and, and, and remain relevant. And, yes, the answer is that we do talk about baseball's thorny issues. Uh, that's what our job is as an independent not-for-profit museum is to – basically portray baseball history and let visitors uh, develop their own value judgments about how they feel about topics and players. So, yeah, we take on steroids head on. We take on labor dispute, the Black Sox, really those topics that are part of baseball history that you have to talk about, we do. Is, has there ever been a thought about including some of that context on a specific member's plaque if someone were to get in who had a, a, a definitive steroids history? You know, I, I, it's hard to really uh, predict what might go on, Matt, in the future. And uh, I think at the end of the day, when you look back at the plaques of all the 300 uh, that are in the Hall of Fame, you, know, you have about 80 or 85 words to describe how a guy got there and what earned him election to Cooperstown. I don't know that uh, discussing steroids is something that would earn someone election to Cooperstown. You'd put on a plaque, but that's something, fortunately, we haven't had to deal with. And uh, it's something that's speculative, so it's really hard to say. All right, Jeff. So uh, we're hoping that Harold and uh, Lee go in with socks and cub hats. Uh, what goes into that determination? Tell us a little bit about the weekend. You're going to have a huge contingency of Chicago people headed your way. Uh, tell us about uh, some of the accommodations as well as uh, the possibilities of both uh, having Chicago hats on. Yeah, well, I mean, what we do is we talk to players uh, when they get in uh, about what we're comfortable with. And obviously, 
uh, both Harold and Lee spent a lot of time on the north and south sides of Chicago. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel confident that the, the two Chicago teams will be represented. I'm pretty confident that's what those players would like. And that's uh, something you really just don't want to have an embarrassing situation where you know, a guy maybe played one season somewhere and it's not emblematic of where he really made his greatest impact. So it's the player's decision at the end of the day. We got one more election coming up in a couple of weeks on the uh, 22nd. We announce uh, the BBWAA ballot, and then you'll have the Hall of Fame class of 2019. It's an incredible weekend. It's the weekend of July 19, 2021 this year. We're a week earlier to stay away from trade deadline. Uh, you have a great awards presentation on Saturday afternoon where uh, we honor Jason Stark will be honored with a writing award. Al Halford was going to win the broadcasting award posthumously. We'll have some other uh, fun entertainment on Saturday to recognize the cultural side of the game. And then on the Sunday of induction weekend is when uh, the new inductees are uh, take their place among those already in. And uh, we expect some 50 to 55 Hall of Famers to return to welcome the class of 2019. I can tell you, having been there six times, mm. uh, that uh, Jeff and his staff are so accommodating. And it's uh, such a difficult weekend because there's a small town of how many people in Cooperstown, Jeff? Town of eighteen hundred. My high school is bigger than eighteen hundred. <laughs> that expands to what uh, twenty, thirty thousand at at some point. Well, I'll tell you, four of the last five inductions have been forty thousand plus, and it'll right. be the same this year. It's not easy to be uh, accommodating, uh, Matt, because there's no room. You know, you better use the trolleys. That's all I have to tell people. <laughs> use the trolleys if you're moving up and back, because uh, the the traffic can be rough. But it is a great, great. Uh, weekend, and I encourage people to go any time of the year because uh, Jeff and his staff do a fabulous job of making you feel at home uh, the first time you go there. Thanks uh, so much for taking some time out, Jeff. Uh, look forward to seeing you uh, for induction weekend, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, Smitty and uh, Harold are, are going to enjoy that process. Well, thanks so much for your very kind words, Bruce, and to you and Matt. There's always room at the end, as there is from everybody who wants to come from Chicago to see their heroes inducted. Thanks, Thanks Jeff. Much. Thanks so much. Jeff Idelson, right, president of Baseball's Hall of Fame, longtime worker for the New York Yankees, uh, been in that uh, media relations office, moved down there, and he's been there. He's been at the Hall for, I, I have to say, 15, 17 years, maybe maybe longer now. It does such a great job. And Actually, 24 years. He 20, joined the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1994 as director of PR. That's coming right off the Yankees. And what's interesting is before that, he worked for the Red Sox. So right. we, we, we worked for both of them. But, you yeah. know, it's, it, it's, you've got passionate baseball fans, and I appreciate his, uh, his, his willingness to talk about some of those thorny issues that uh, get, get very difficult for, for the Hall itself to have to answer for. Will Manny Machado be a member of the Chicago White Sox this week? Uh, more that we'll talk about on the score all week long. Matt, we have people to thank. We thank Kyle Hendricks of the Chicago Cubs for joining us on this show. Tyler Kepner of the New York Times as well. And, of course, Jeff Idelson just now. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Our website, I write Cubs and Sox during the week at MLB, uh, at uh, 670thescore.com. I will see you next week. You and Rosie, have a good time. Thank you, sir. If you want to find the podcast, simply Google Inside the Clubhouse Podcast, and you will find it via the Score's website and the radio.com podcast trove. Thank you to Zach Withers, who does a great job producing every week. That's right. Steve Rosenblum is next with me, Matt Spiegel. He's Bruce Levine. Next week, we are live from the Cubs convention. Right here on 670 The Score.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 